we've all had those GP appointments. You go, you ask for a script, you get your script, you go to the pharmacy, and maybe you come back to the GP again when you need another script or a test, or maybe something's broken or you're sick. When's the last time you spoke to your GP about your goals, about your why, your reason for getting up in the morning? What if you needed help after hours? Could you speak to your GP? How would you do it? Would you do it by email, text, phone? Have you ever had a series of healthcare providers, a team providing care for you, coordinated centrally, or working together with a single view of what optimal health looks like for you? For some, this model sounds too far-fetched or a bit of a pipe dream. For others, it's how they operate on a day-to-day. For my guests today, this is what they strive to do every day. Dr. Jazz Saini is the Principal GP at Rosedale Medical Practice. He's previously supported practices in Western Sydney to transition towards becoming patient-centred medical homes, and he's now leading his practice on this journey. If you've ever been interested in understanding the evolving model of primary care in this country, or you work in a healthcare setting, this one's for you. Let's make it happen, Team Health Tech. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Jazz Saini. He's the Principal GP at Rosedale Medical Practice. He's a counsellor for AMA New South Wales and the former Clinical Director for Wentwest, Western Sydney Primary Health Network. His personal values of compassion, integrity and innovation are injected into everything he does. He believes that technology plays a crucial role in helping healthcare to evolve beyond episodes of care to proactively address care gaps, as well as foster equality, inclusivity, and diversity. Hey, Jazz, how are you going? Hey, Peter. Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's quite a pleasure and what an intro. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm excited that we get to talk in person. We talk a bit on the Talking Health Tech community on the forum there and provide some interesting insights. And it's great to have your perspective, a clinical perspective on everything. But I'm really excited to be able to go into the detail of some of these things that are really important to you and that you're passionate about. So thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure, Peter. I mean, this is a brave new world, isn't it? I can see you on screen right now. It's uh, would love to be in the same room as you, but this is this is a nice second, don't you think? This is it. This is it. Yeah. And actually, because you're out in Western Sydney, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Wild West. Excellent. The Wild West. <laughs> yeah. Born and bred. <laughs> awesome. So look, let's get into things. I'm keen to firstly just understand a bit more about yourself. We've covered a little bit about you in the intro, but in your own words, tell us about yourself, Jess. You know, fundamentally, I'm a GP. Uh, like any professional, I occupy roles, um, and all those roles are important to me. I'm the uh, husband to a lovely wife, son to amazing parents, but also the father of my little triplet girls who are now two years and eight months old. Wow. So, right, it's been quite a journey. Um, and like anything, when you have children, you become even more passionate and even more committed to doing some good in the world, right? And so that's where I am at the moment. I'm super keen to change the way that primary care is delivered in Australia. We have an amazing healthcare system at the moment, but we have a lot of work to do to get it to a place where patients are looked after in the way that we'd like for them to be, and they get what they want, need, and deserve from our healthcare system. Amazing. Triplet girls, three under three. 
that's full on. I've got three, but they're kind of spread out, just like a band-aid, just get all, all three done. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not that I had much of a choice there, Peter, but it's been uh, it's it's been great. It's been really, really, really nice to have them in our lives. And I learn more from them than they do from me. Yeah, totally. That's so cool. I'm keen to understand from your side, I guess, the landscape of primary care in Australia, being a GP today, where are we at now? If you had to describe, I guess, the current state of primary care in Australia, how would you describe it? Peter, I think we do quite a good job in Australia. Um, you know, I think we need to start off with uh, commending our healthcare system for the incredible way that it's responded to the pandemic. Um, you know, we've had various levels of people within the healthcare system working in unison. You know, I suppose you could question that statement, but working reasonably well together to respond to what's been an incredibly challenging time for Australia and Australians. We've had the federal government go ahead and provide us with funding for telehealth, which has really shifted the way we do things in general practice. And we've had uh, new models of healthcare that are starting to emerge that are really responding to the delivery of healthcare that's much more proactive and coordinated than it has been, right? So, you know, fundamentally, the shift that I see, Peter, is moving from episodes of care where we're seeing patients in fixed time slots, you know, let's say 10 to 15 minutes at a time, and trying to unpack everything for the person in front of us within that short period of time. And not only that, but trying to mix in preventative health, public health, you know, making sure people have had their colonoscopies, their pap smears, their bone scans, what have you. Also trying to see whether there might be something going on as far as their mental health is concerned or whether there's any areas such as smoking or alcohol that we might need to address, right? So within 15 minutes, that becomes quite a tough ask, mm-hmm. right? So... Where are we right now? Well, I think we do very well when it comes to providing top-notch care for the person in front of us. But where we lag behind is our ability to provide proactive care that looks beyond that box, which we call a consult room, and starts to really understand where our journey is at for our patients and see where we can start to improve for them. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because we were talking about this last night in a live stream episode of the podcast or a live stream conversation with someone else who hosts a health tech podcast. It was around the concept where today using technology in primary care or with consults, it's kind of like replicating the old way of doing a consult of physically going into a practice and then having a conversation and then leaving. And so telehealth has been good in that sense to be able to, I guess, bridge that gap. But over a longer period of time, using things like asynchronous communication and and other kind of methods, remote monitoring and all of those things, a digital first type environment that then speaks to those points that you mentioned earlier around, you know, outside of that consult. Technology enables a lot of that and it opens up a lot of possibilities, but it might be a way until we get there. But it sounds like, you know, these are kind of things that you're thinking about on a day-to-day in your practice right now. Yeah, look, I mean, that's a very well-made point, Peter, right? So we are used to redesigning our healthcare system in a way that we understand and what we understand most is either in the primary care sector episodic care or in the hospital sector activity based care right so we're very good at that 
So it makes inherent sense that we would build upon what we already know. Um, and there's no real harm in doing that to an extent. I think if we can build technology around our current workflow, there is certainly some benefit to be derived. The challenge is, though, that when all you do is improve what you've currently got, you miss a tremendous amount of opportunity. And that's what you're saying by digital first, from what I understand, that you can actually mm-hmm. use technology to harness this ability for us to really reach out to our patients where they are, whether that be in their homes, whether that be in aged care facilities, whether that be in different states, different geographic uh, regions. Not only that, Peter, but we have people that not necessarily visiting us on a regular basis and that can't access us in the same way that our regular patients might. You know, people that live in disadvantaged communities, people, for instance, that might be from Indigenous backgrounds where coming and travelling to a doctor is also then needing to be balanced by your duty and your obligations towards your families, right? Getting away from your family for a certain period of time just to access care relevant to you is not always possible. Technology can help us to reach out to our more vulnerable communities in a way that we've never been able to from expecting people to come to us in our practices. Yeah, amazing. Being on the ground, a GP, the practicality of it is that you're doing it on a day today. You're seeing patients and that it's happening now. I'm interested in your perspective on that journey of that you've taken your patients on, on the change of, I guess, being paper-based or having the more traditional method of documentation in a practice to a more digitized practice and a digitized way of going. How has that whole process gone and how have patients responded to that process? Yeah, yeah. So this is the journey of Rosedale Medical Practice. So going back in time, people that look at our building might remember it from a scene from a country practice. You know, we were one of the uh, original buildings that were used for that uh, production, right? So, which, you know, what, what that says to me is that we've carried forward a lot of the values that were on that show. You know, you remember, if you remember Molly and Tennessee, who... Uh, was this incredibly resilient, caring, fun, passionate, wild person that really was intensely passionate about everything that she did. And we've, in some respects, carried that forward in being intensely passionate about caring for our patients and for our community. So the doctors who my wife and I purchased this practice from uh, have been practicing here for the last 20 years and have built this incredible practice who, uh, which is relationship-based. We've got four, sometimes five generations of families coming through our practice. So we've got all that really beautiful, rich, underlying fabric of what a good practice should be. And what we're trying to do now is marry that with technology systems, models that help us to provide care in a way that's meaningful for not only the earlier generations, but for also new generations that are coming through to our practice as well. So people these days expect to receive care that is proactive and coordinated and that is respectful of their needs, that's personalised to them, but also to be able to access that at a time that's convenient for them. People are working, they lead busy lives. They can't necessarily take 
an hour or two hours away from their schedule to drive here, access our team and go back and then do blood tests or whatever other investigations we order. So the practice we inherited was starting to move along this digital direction. And we, when we first set up prior to COVID, which was around July 2019, we had a hybrid system where we were writing down notes as well as using our initial computer systems to try and document our patient records. And the first thing that we decided to do, which was quite fortunate, was say, well, look, let's switch off the paper-based system as much as possible and move to being as fully digital as possible. We were fortunate that we did that because if we hadn't, I think we would have really struggled to adopt our new model of care that was required of us in the pandemic using paper or paper-based systems at a time when there is a crisis where uh, you need to act as efficiently as and as effectively as possible is a big ask. Um, so if we survived COVID, it was because our entire team got on board with this journey of digitalization. There's a couple of elements of that, Peter. Um, one is that we decided to do away with our fax machine, oh, right? Which is almost unheard of. In How did healthcare. you communicate to it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's still, it's still, yeah, right. So it's still a journey that we're on. Um, what we what we did was say, well, we don't have a fax machine. So if you need to communicate with us, these are the options that we've got, which is mostly around secure messaging. We use uh, things like HealthLink or Argus. Um, but, of course, the challenge is then managing the other side, which is communicating with other providers who don't have modern technology on board. So whether that's a nursing home, whether that's certain hospitals or certain you know, specialists or allied health providers. Unfortunately, we still have to fax out at the moment but we are trying to work our way forward and influencing our healthcare neighbourhood to adopt new technologies so that we can manage both the sending and receiving end of that. Good on you. Yeah, we need more of that, I think. When you're one of the first ones to do that and be those innovators or at least agitators a little bit to say, you know what, there is a better way. Let's just not go with the norm and the, you know, let's try and progress things together. That's, uh, it does need people within the system to be able to act on that. And how have you found the, the patients, you know, in terms of the, like there's all the administration side of things in documenting and, and other bits and pieces when it comes to technology. Has there been any, I guess, clinical or patient outcomes that can be associated with or at least linked to the use of technology within your practice that has resulted in some kind of better patient outcomes? Yeah, great question, Peter. So one of the tools that we use is a tool called Care Monitor. Is that something you've come across before at all? Yeah, no, I know. Um, yes, no, I do. I definitely do know of Care Monitor. Yeah, great. So Care Monitor is a shared care platform, but also a remote uh, monitoring platform, right? So the idea is that we have a clinician-facing app as well as a patient-facing app. So the patient-facing app exists to share important health information such as medications or care goals. So we can actually build a care plan on Care Monitor that our patients can access and review and view on a regular basis, right? It helps them guide uh, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis in order to drive outcomes that matter to them. And the other thing that they do on the patient-based platform is that they can en enter important measurements. So for example, a person with diabetes can record their blood sugar levels on a daily basis or three times a day, whatever we 
discussed as being appropriate for that particular person. The clinician-facing app is very useful. So what we see is a traffic light system where we'll either see metrics in green, yellow, or orange, sorry, green, yellow, or red. And because it's a nice, easy visual cue that we get, we can respond quite quickly in saying, well, look, this person is falling towards yellow or red and we need to act quickly or this person is staying in green that's fantastic and we can just provide some reassurance that what they're doing is right and we can also link in other providers such as physiotherapists speech therapists dietitians podiatrists into that app so we've got a multidisciplinary app going for our patients and getting that support that we need for our teams so you talked about well, how can we demonstrate outcomes with that? So let me tell you a bit of a patient story just to give you a sense of what's possible with something like Care Monitor. De-identified, of course, protect our patient's confidentiality, but we did have uh, one person that we saw with type 2 diabetes who at one point presented to us following a diabetic coma for which they had been admitted to hospital, right? So unfortunately, what happened at that time was her HbA1c, which is a three-monthly average of sugars, had gone up to quite a high number. And we were also seeing quite significant changes in her kidneys as well. So her diagnosis, um, in addition to diabetes, was acute kidney failure, which was looking like it might revert to chronic kidney disease if we didn't act early. So what we did was adopt a family-based approach where we actually got a patient and her daughter on board using the app and trained them on the use of the technology they entered blood pressure, sugar, and weight on a regular basis. We were able to see very closely what the sugars were doing on a day-to-day basis, but also what the blood pressure was doing on a day-to-day basis, uh, respond within the app by sending an encrypted message. And also, we have the ability of receiving a message back from the patient or her daughter as well. So just by communicating regularly with this person, we were able to move her HbA1c to better than the desired range, reverse her kidney damage, so she's no longer got any kidney issues whatsoever, and optimize her blood pressure so that her blood pressure readings are within an absolutely perfect range, right? So here's this person that we've been able to catch and identify early and completely change outcomes just from being very selective in the way we care for her and also following up much more regularly than we would otherwise be able to. So if we relied on episodic care for someone like this, we would be waiting until the next appointment to identify what was going on for her by simply having access to technology that helped us to monitor her remotely we were able to completely influence and change the outcomes that she was going to have for her it's great having real world examples to be able to talk about and see the the practicalities of it and sometimes it's the stories about individuals that it's made a meaningful impact to that that are are really valuable because we can talk around strategy and big picture and about how seeing you know transformational change across you know entire health systems but when you can make a difference to individuals lives i guess that's what being a gp is often about too so that's good that the technology can help with that One of the terminologies that we've talked around a little bit, but we've talked around the concepts of it, but not really about it itself, is the concept of a patient-centered medical home. For those who have not come across PCMH terminology, tell us a bit more about that and where that's come from and how that all kind of plays into what we're talking here. 
PCMH, um, some of you might have come across it uh, via uh, something called Healthcare Homes, which was a government initiative announced a few years ago. And there's been some initial success around that. But probably the more purest model looking at the whole of practice transformation is patients at a medical home, which actually derives from paediatrics, because we know that Australia as well, that paediatrics tends to be quite well coordinated. A lot of that is derived from this model of wraparound care for patients that is responsive and personalised to their needs. So I suppose it's a tricky concept to define because you need to break it down to a few little elements. The first is the concept of patient-centred. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot. It's something that we all believe we are in some respects. You know, we believe that because we've gone into our caring profession that everything we do is centred around the needs and goals of our patients. Um, but when you actually look at it and you hear what patients are saying, unfortunately, sometimes it's quite the opposite. You know, care can be designed around the needs of either health administrators or clinicians or care teams. And the fitting in of the patient sometimes is a bit of an afterthought. You know, you have to actually take a step away from that and consider, well, if our healthcare system was truly designed to reflect the needs and wants of our patients, what would it look like? Right. So that's probably the first fundamental question from which all the other work in PCMH is derived. And then there's the other part of that, which is medical home. So what does that mean? Now, people have used different ways of describing this. Now, one, one potential way it can be described is almost a bit like a superclinic. So we've heard various um, degrees of whether superclinics that were introduced a few years ago were successful or not. The challenge with our traditional concept of superclinics has been that we consider superclinics to be a variety of different services under the same roof. But the de definition sort of starts there and ends there. A true PCMH practice involves team-based care where all of those providers are actually communicating and collaborating with each other in a way that is designed to reach one of four goals. Those four goals are summarised well by the Institute of Healthcare Improvement and also someone by the name of Thomas Bodenheimer who crafted the fourth aim as being improved patient and population outcomes, improved patient experience, joy in work for care teams and sustainable healthcare or affordability in healthcare, whichever way you look at it. The first step in building a PCMH is saying, well, what is our objective? And if our objective mirrors that of the objective of our medical neighbourhood, we're going to be much more successful in achieving that objective. The journey in Australia has been to get everyone to agree that the quadruple aim is worth pursuing and that if we are looking at measuring our success as a healthcare system, that the right metric for success is going to be the quadruple aim. And increasingly, that's being adopted in Australia. So I know this is a bit of a long-winded answer for you, unfortunately, Peter, but um, there's a lot of work that goes in to begin to describe what a PCMH is. How does a practice like Rosedale Medical Practice become a PCMH or a patient-centered medical home? Part of it is getting the key elements right. So for those of the audience that have come across something called the 10 building blocks, the first four of those are quite critical to get right. And that's where we are as a practice right now. 
right? So what that is, is engaged leadership, having a vision, a strategy, and the right leadership principles and will to influence positive change in a practice. Data-driven improvement. The idea behind that is what gets measured improves and you can't improve what you don't measure, right? So we've started to access a lot of that. I can talk a bit more about that later as well, Peter. The next part of that is team-based care, which I've already touched on, but the idea is that in general practice, we can have work that can be incredibly isolating where I can be in a room all day and not see the person next door that's working alongside me until, you know, let's say 6 p.m., 7 p.m. on the same day. Um, so part of the reason why many GPs burn out and become overwhelmed is though they're working in group practices, they actually are quite isolated and it's just a one-on-one -on -one interaction with their patients for 10 to 12 hours at a time. So team-based care is actually saying, well, how do we step outside of that model and start talking about how we can work together, right? So we're doing a lot of work there. And the fourth part of that is patient enrollment or empowerment is the other word for it, which is to say, well, what matters in healthcare is being accountable for the outcomes that we're achieving as a practice. So not only are our patients responsible for their health, but we are also responsible for providing them the resources and tools to support them so that they can achieve the best possible outcomes. And part of that accountability is saying, well, this panel of, let's say, 2,000, 3,000, 9,000, however large the practice is, people, is these are specifically our people. They're our patients. We're responsible for their care. doesn't matter where they are, whether they're in hospital, whether they've gone overseas, whether they've gone interstate, they are our patients, right? So we are the ones that are responsible for ensuring that they get the best possible health care. And as an example of that, Peter, I'm just going to delve a little bit deeper into that last part. I had a patient who recently attended a hospital and his main concern, you know, we asked the question in healthcare, what matters to you? His main concern, what mattered to him was his wife was in a nursing home and no one had asked him whether he had family members elsewhere that needed to be contacted to let them know where he was and how long he was going to be there. It would have been such a simple task for his hospital to take that on for him, but he had been there for about five days and he had been asking the staff to contact his family, particularly his wife, and that hadn't happened. So I had identified because we had received correspondence from the hospital saying that the patient had arrived in hospital, that this was going on, called the patient and recognised that that was an important need for him picked up the phone, called the nursing home, talked to his wife, let her know where he was and relieved both his wife of the tension of not knowing where her husband was but him of the concern that his wife, who we visited on a daily basis, was going to know what was going on for him and was going to know that he was okay. It's funny how those things get overlooked and they're so important to the individuals, obviously. Just to go back like a few minutes, you were talking about super clinics. 
And you mentioned quite rightfully that a few years ago, that was very much the craze and there's a lot being built and, you know, Bunnings warehouses being converted into clinics and stuff like that. And it's interesting seeing the current climate now in the need for the care teams and everything. And I guess conceptually that makes sense, but I sometimes feel like those super clinics were just a way for a large piece of real estate to be sublet out to a number of providers who had no kind of, the only commonality they had was that they were all under the same roof rather than caring for the same group. Because I know working as a vendor, as a software vendor for these groups, you would often then deal with, you know, the physiotherapist quite separately to than you would to someone else. So from your perspective, is there still a future for these super clinics? Is it a changing environment now? Is it something that needs to be revisited or is it still too early to say? I think there are probably two answers to that question, Peter, or two parts, I suppose. One is do we need to have super clinics in order to deliver effective, efficient, high-quality, personalised care that's coordinated and proactive? Or can we have smaller practices working together and working more effectively with their medical neighbourhood to provide that level of care without having everyone under the same roof? From what I understand and from my experience in healthcare, in fact, we actually don't need super clinics. We don't need a whole bunch of people in one area. Possibly it adds convenience. You know, you visit one person in one place and you can visit the other at the same time. But it doesn't necessarily, there's no evidence that I know of that it improves the quality of care or patient outcomes, right? So if we look at a practice like ours, you know, Rosedale Medical Practice, we've got three doctors working at any one time. We believe that by having really good, close professional relationships with the people around us, that we can still provide that same level of care that might only be possible outside of the model like PCMH in a practice of 20 doctors and a couple of allied health staff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, the other side of that is with the right will and intent and strategy and vision, a practice that is able to effectively blend a group of people together and ensure that there is a genuine spirit of teamwork and collaboration could do very, very well as long as they operate on the same model or at least have commonalities around what they want to achieve as a group. Yes. You do need that alignment there and then the strategy is really important, the vision as to where they're going rather than just a bunch of individual providers providing direct care to someone and then passing on to someone else. No, very cool. So starting to round out some of the conversations, I'm always interested to know from a GP's perspective who have, I guess you've gone through the process of adopting different technologies within your practice and probably some trial and error and some bits in between, but have you got advice for other GPs that might be looking to adopt technology in some way in their practice? Perhaps they're still paper-based or you know, primarily paper-based or looking at introducing something. Is there any tips that you would provide to implementing technology in their general practice? I suppose the first thing to say is that it is entirely possible to transform a practice from an entirely paper-based practice to a fully digitised practice. Uh, we've seen it, we've done it, and we've seen the positive benefits of doing that, of taking that journey. But doing it alone is never a good idea. You need to take your team with you, right? So if you are trying to drive change and others are getting confused not quite sure of why something is changing, you haven't communicated the why properly, 
or you're going to get is frustration, right? You need to provide your colleagues with the resources, support, answer questions that they might have. And technology needs to meaningfully impact the experience of care received and delivered, right? So you need to, as a clinician, feel more empowered by having technology on board and feel like you can do more for your patients. Your patients need to feel that there is a benefit for them. And I suppose the other part of it is if you are in business, it needs to um, be positive for your bottom line as well. You know, technology can be particularly expensive at times and you need Mm. to make sure that the return on your investment is going to be worth it, both from a financial perspective, but also, and probably more importantly, from a patient outcomes perspective. And lastly then, Jazz, the future, I guess, is a double-pronged question. It's the future, what are you guys focusing on at Rosedale in the clinic and what the next kind of six to 12 months looks like for you? But then more broadly as well, what do you think the future of general practice looks like and how that'll evolve over time in your vision? Yeah, you like your two-pronged questions, don't you? <laughs> I've got this habit of doing it. Here are five questions, talk. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what's the future for Rosedale? I think at the moment it's actually communicating the idea of what a PCMH is, right? So um, we've signed up with we've signed up with the Primary Health Network as being a Western Sydney PCMH practice. Part of that will get quite a bit of support from our primary health network to deliver that level of change and invest in the resources we need to transform the way we deliver care to our patients. But the big thing for us is getting our entire team on board and ensuring that they understand what's going on getting our patients on board and understanding that there are going to be changes in the practice that are designed to improve their experience of care and the outcomes that they receive from us as a practice. We're very passionate about data. We believe that we should be able to show our data to our team, but also to our patients. Um, And so part of our journey is going to be, well, this is where we are right now and we would ideally like to get to this point but also show how we're moving towards that point over time as well, right? So there are the practices in Australia that are far ahead of us in that journey and that are starting to display that data on their websites or other materials. So we would like to get to that point. Where is healthcare going in Australia? Well, I think there's a lot of really exciting things happening at the moment, Ben. I think from the perspective of, you know, you you hear about the pandemic shifting healthcare, healthcare technology, Uh, you know, a decade uh, within a month, right? So things have changed quite dramatically. The idea is to uh, retain those positive changes and make sure that they remain embedded in the way we practice healthcare over the next few decades. I think we are recognising that the way we're working at the moment isn't working as well as we'd like it to. Um, We know, for instance, that 30% of women only 30% of women are getting their pap smears done right in Western Sydney, so 70% aren't. So we can't expect that to change by just expecting people to walk into our practices. We actually need to reach out to people to ensure that we're able to influence that number. We know that uh, when it comes to heart disease, it's typically viewed as a male disease. So women present differently when they're having cardiac events, when they're having a heart attack, right? So there are delays in diagnosis. There are delays in treatment for women who have cardiac disease. It's about firstly identifying where those care gaps exist and then coming up with solutions to 
provide that proactive, coordinated, collaborative care so that we're actually meaningfully changing the way Australians perceive their healthcare, but also improving the health health of Australians over the next few years. Fantastic. Well, look, Jazz, I, I really appreciate your insights and your perspective on all of that and the story behind the transformation at your practice. And I'm sure it's given a few ideas to other general practitioners and just general people within healthcare about what they can do within their own. I'm sure we'll continue our conversation. You as a THD Plus member, we can have a chat in the forum and continue these conversations with the other community members. But I'll let you get back to patients too, because no doubt you've got a busy day. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you very much, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.